Let's pray. Father, thank you for your great love for us. Thank you for the fact that while we were yet sinners, Christ Jesus died for us. Thank you for your grace and mercy and your love. And I pray today that you will speak to us from the pages of Scripture, First Peter particularly, address our hearts, encourage us, comfort us, convict us. And I pray that when we leave today, we'll all be saying together, it, it has really been good to be in the house of the Lord in the middle of the week. Thank you for the food. Use it to strengthen our bodies. And thank you for the sweet fellowship around the tables. And I pray your blessing upon each person here these summer days as we get ready to celebrate our nation's birthday, that it will be a joyous time of celebration for family and friends. We pray for the God and Country concert on Sunday afternoon, that your name will be glorified, that you'll bless the choirs as they sing, orchestra as they play, that it will be a a great day in this place and in this community. So we love you, we adore you, we ask now that you instruct us from your word. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Okay, we're in 1 Peter chapter 2. Um, we have started on the section, Reflections on the Difference Salvation Should Make in a Believer's Life. That was on last, the last outline two weeks ago. We didn't meet last week because of Bible school. And so we observe that there should be a difference in our lives because Jesus is our Savior. The Holy Spirit dwells within us. And Peter particularly addresses several things that ought to be evident in our lives because we follow Christ. And we listed those as hope. This this goes back to chapter 1. There should be hope in our hearts according to chapter 1, verse 13. We should live in holiness, according to chapter 1, verses 14 through 16. We should live in holiness because we've been converted, because of our redemption. And then we should live in a way that we fear God. We we honor and respect God because He's holy and we've been redeemed. So we fear God. That's according to verses 17 to 21. And then we are to love one another, According to verses 22 to 25, we are to love one another. And these ought to be things that are evident in our lives because we are followers of Christ. Now we get to chapter 2, and that's where we are now. And there are two more areas of distinction. And we, we, got to, we had time last time to catch the first one. And that was in verses 1 through 3. We should crave the Scripture. Because we follow Christ, because we belong to Him, there should be a longing in our hearts to read and study the Word of God. That ought to be a mark, a hallmark of a Christian. Now we come to verses 4 and 5, and that's where we pick up today as uh, Peter says to us, build a spiritual house. These are two, this is another area of distinction Build a spiritual house. So let's see what he meant by that. Uh, Verses 4 and 5, that's what I'm about to read. And I have a note here that is spelled W-O-W. What does that spell? 
Good. You, did, you didn't need to go to college to know that one, did you? Wow. There are some verses in the Bible that when you read them and think about them, all you can say is, wow. Well, verses 4 and 5, in my opinion, are two of those verses. I read them and I just say, wow. So we want to say, wow, but we want to say a little bit more than just, wow. So let's look at verse 4. Here's what Peter says. As you come to him, the living stone, that's Christ, as you come to him, the living stone, rejected by humans but chosen by God and precious to him, you also, verse 5, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Now, period, we stop there. To me, those two verses elicit from my heart a wow. Then I have to dig in so I can fully understand and try to comprehend everything that that, that Peter is saying to us. So let's think about those two verses. In coming to Jesus the one who tastes good. Remember that? In case you've forgotten where that is, go back to verse 3. Now that you have tasted that the Lord is good. So he is reminding us, telling us that Jesus tastes good. And you understand the spiritual nature of that statement, not, not a physical statement, but a spiritual nature of that statement. So in coming to Jesus, the one who tastes good, Believers will build a spiritual house. That's what we do because we're followers of Christ. We will build a spiritual house. Now, there are, there are two themes that follow verses 4 and 5. We'll get to them in a minute, but I'm going to go ahead and tell you what they are. There are two themes. They're in your outline. There is a twofold response to Christ, acceptance and rejection. We find that in verses 6 through 8. So I'll come back to that. But there's a twofold response to Christ, acceptance and rejection. Makes sense, doesn't it? Some accept, some reject. Okay? Then in verses 9 and 10, he discusses the spiritual nature of the church. The spiritual nature of the church. Okay? So we'll get back to that in a minute. Now back to verses 4 and 5. So, according to verses 4 and 5, We are to build a spiritual house. You are living stones connected to the living stone. Make sense? I put in my notes the living stone in caps, L capitalized, S stone capitalized, living stone We are living stones, little letters. We are living stones connected to the living stone. Now, together we build a house. You and Christ together build a spiritual house. And add to that the fact that we as believers join together to build the spiritual house that we know most commonly as the church, the body of Christ. Okay, so in verse 4, 
the stone, that is Jesus, rejected by most, rejected by most, but accepted by you. There are far more who have rejected Christ than have accepted him, sadly. But Jesus, rejected by most, but accepted by you, he is the stone. The dwelling place of God is now you. It's not a physical temple in Jerusalem. It is you. The dwelling place of God is now you as a living stone, us as living stones instead of a physical edifice in Jerusalem. So do you see what, you see what Peter's saying to us? Okay, we are living stones joined together with the living stones to build a spiritual house. Jesus was rejected by most humans, was and is rejected by most humans, but chosen by God, he tells us in verses 4 and 5. Chosen by God, just like the recipients of this epistle rejected by those around him, And the recipients of this epistle have been rejected by those around them. Yet with full knowledge, Peter is imparting to them that you are loved by God, chosen, and accepted by him. Now that's a mouthful. But Peter is linking it together. He's saying, the living stone, Jesus, rejected by most, you living stones, rejected by those, by most around you, and yet you join together as living stones to the living stone for the building of a spiritual body. So is that making, is that making sense? If it's not, stop me and I'll try to explain it a little better. Um, we remember contextually, this is important, that Peter is writing this epistle to people who live in mansions and are rich and have it easy, right? Peter is writing this epistle to suffering believers, scattered, persecuted, uh, many killed, imprisoned, not hired for jobs because they're believers. Really difficult. And so Peter is writing to these persecuted living stones and he is writing not to discourage them, but to encourage them and bolster them and build them up and make them strong. That's his purpose. So you're a pretend, you're a persecuted believer. So Peter says, you are a living stone and you're connected to the living stone building a spiritual house even though most of those around you hate you and despise you. Guess what? They feel the same way about the living stone. They feel the same way about Jesus that they feel about you. In fact, Jesus said, if they persecute me, they're going to persecute you. Sometimes... It helps us when we are persecuted, and you know we don't know really we really don't know much about that on a grand scale. 
like believers in other countries do. But it helps to know, I guess in some sense, it's not really totally personal. They hate Jesus. And so because they hate Jesus, they hate you because you belong to him. I don't know that that makes you feel better, but just understand they hate you because they first hated him. So, okay, he's offering encouragement. He is saying, take heart. You're a spiritual stone connected to the living stone building a spiritual house in spite of the fact that you're persecuted, hounded, and all the other things that that happen to believers. Are, do you read, do you, do you keep up with what's going on in the world? Are you aware, um, that there, that the, that the persecution around the world is ramping up? It's not dying down, it's ramping up big time. The, the, the church is being persecuted today more than at any time in history. And there will be, if Jesus tarries in his coming, there will be more martyrs for Christ by the end of this century, which is quite some ways off, I know, but there'll be more martyrs in this century than any other century in history. And the, and the century that currently is number one is the last one, the one that just ended a few years ago. So martyrdom is not something that ended in the first or second century. It's going on with great intensity today. Um, the, the, the Indian prime minister was just reelected. And from our perspective as Christians, that's not good news because he is a fundamentalist Hindu. He's been persecuting the church. There have been some hopes that he would be defeated. He was not. And so he will take that as certification for what he's doing, and he'll ramp it up, already doing that. So that's one example. There are a whole lot more than that. The African continent, Asia, China, Middle East, it's happening everywhere. So, um, and you know, it's you see it, it's coming, isn't it? You see it? It's coming. It's unfolding here, home of the brave, land of the free, coming right here. Uh, stand by. It's coming. And, and there's the question, will you, will you stand? That's, that's the question. Will we stand? Absolutely we will. We absolutely will. All right. The spiritual house, then, he says, becomes a royal priesthood, a holy priesthood offering worship to God. You see that in verse 5? A royal priesthood, a holy priesthood offering worship to God. That, that's us. Okay, so now we get to those two themes that follow. So let's look at verse, we'll look at verse 6 through 8. The rejected, accepted Messiah. So look at verse 6. For in Scripture it says, um, and this quotes from Isaiah chapter 28, See, I lay a stone in Zion, a chosen and precious cornerstone. Who's he talking about? Jesus. And the one who trusts in him 
will never be put to shame. I like that. Now to you who believe, this stone is precious. But to those who do not believe, the stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. That's a quote from the 118th Psalm. And a stone that causes people to stumble and a rock that makes them fall. And he's gone back to Isaiah, the 8th chapter, in, in that verse. They stumble because they disobey the message, which is also what they were destined for. No surprise to God. Verse 6 through Okay, so let, let's, let's look at verse 6 through 8 for a minute. The accepted, rejected Messiah. He's quoting, first of all, from Isaiah 28, 16, which says... So this is what the sovereign Lord says. See, I lay a stone in Zion, a tested stone, a precious cornerstone for a sure foundation. The one who relies on it will never be stricken with panic. When was the last time you read that verse? Isn't that great? Trusting in him, relying on him, the cornerstone, we won't be stricken with panic. What happens when you panic? You run. Right? When you panic, you run. You're getting away from something or somebody. We don't, we don't need to run. We'll stand. And we can stand because we're trusting on the cornerstone, a sure foundation. That's Jesus. This was prophesied way before Jesus was born in Bethlehem. God provides the way, the cornerstone, Jesus, but he is rejected by most of his contemporaries and still rejected today. Verses 6 through 8 tell us the gospel and the response to the gospel both then and now. Acceptance, rejection. None of this surprises God. You know that, don't you? When, when man, when wicked man did all that he did to Jesus, God was, God the Father was not in heaven and suddenly saying, I never thought they'd do that to my son. We know better than that. He knew exactly what was going to happen, which makes the gift and the sacrifice all that much more astounding. So none of this surprises God. The past response of people to Christ did not surprise God. The current response of people to Christ does not surprise God at all. But we are reminded that in the future, there is joy for those who believe. Catch the big picture. Catch the big picture. The future we see out there, out there. One of the hardest things for us to comprehend, and notice I said one of the hardest things for us to comprehend, I'm right there with you, is to keep the eternal perspective because I'm caught up in now. You know, if I'm in pain, I'm in pain now, (laughs) right now. If somebody's persecuting me, that's happening right now. However, Peter and all of Scripture encourages us, keep the big picture in mind. Remember, the Christian is the only one who can say at any point in history, The best is yet to be. Unbelievers can't say that, but we can. The best is yet to be. 
So no matter what happens here, we are reminded by Peter, keep that eternal perspective. The best is yet to be. And so there is joy for those who believe that won't last just 80 years, but will last for all of eternity. When we sing amazing, what do we sing? When we've been there 10,000 years, bright shining as the sun, we've no less days to sing God's praise than when we first begun. You get your arms around that. I've been in some churches that change the words on that for, for, for joy. They'll say, when we've been there 10 million years, bright shining as the sun, we've no less days to sing God's praise than when we first begun. Well, I have a peanut brain. I'm sure you don't, but I do. And it's hard for me to get my arms around that, but yeah. Yeah, it may be tough here, but 10 million years, 10 billion years, bright shining as the sun, just go on wherever you want to go. That's the future. That's the future. And then there's destruction for those who stumble on the cornerstone. Destruction for those who stumble on the cornerstone. You know, you present Christ to to people. When you witness, you present Christ to people. It's hurtful when they say no. It, it hurts. And sometimes if we're not careful and we personalize that, it makes us scared to do it again. That's why we can't personalize it. They're not stumbling over you. They're stumbling over the cornerstone. It's not you. And I can guarantee you, when the gospel presented, presented the Holy Spirit is in control. You know that, don't you? Holy Spirit's in control. I have heard in my, with my own ears some of the worst witnessing I have ever heard in all my life and sat in astonishment as someone listens and prays to receive Christ. And I'm thinking, that was the worst presentation of the gospel I ever heard in all my life, but look what happened. Guess what? It's not you, it's the Holy Spirit. And I've heard some of the greatest presentations of the gospel I've ever heard, and people just sit there and say, nope, not for me. You know, I'm sitting there thinking, how could you say no to that? But they do. It's not you. It's the Holy Spirit working through you, through the words that you speak. Sovereign Lord doing what he will. Okay, well, let's look at verses 9 and 10, and uh, probably, yeah, we can we can get through those, can't we? Verse 9 Oh, yeah. If four and five were wow verses, so are these. <laughs> Look at this. But verse nine, but you, who's he talking to? Well, the recipients of the epistle, but also he's talking to you and me. But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. Whoa. Nobody's ever said anything so nice about me. Look at that. A chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Whoa. Now notice you're all these things so that you may declare the praises. Not so that you can declare praises for yourself, but so that you can declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. But we'll, we'll dissect that a little bit more. Look at verse 10. Once you were not a people. Today we might say once you were a nobody. 
But now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Do you like verses 9 and 10? If you like it when people compliment you, then you like verses 9 and 10. If you, if you like to know what's in store for you in the future, then you like verses 9 and 10. They're great verses. What, what beautiful verses. So let, let's talk about them for just a moment. Those, uh, verse 9, those, your chosen people, those who accept, that is those who say yes to Jesus, that's the church. We are chosen people. We are chosen people. God has called us, wooed us, drawn us to himself. The Holy Spirit has beckoned. You remember it? Do you remember it? May have been 70 years ago. May have been last month. But do you remember it? That calling and you knew, um, this is it. This is the time. Called by God, chosen people, royal priesthood, Royal in the sense that we belong to God. By the way, I love the priesthood of the believer. I'm not going to take time to teach on that today, but I love the thought of the priesthood of the believer. I get to go to God myself. I don't have to go through anybody. I I allow the Holy Spirit to speak to me, and I can interpret the Scripture led by the Holy Spirit for myself. I love that thought. So we are a royal priesthood, royal because we belong to God. Have you ever daydreamed about what it would be like to be royalty? You ever watched the Brits on television and thought, I wonder what it would have been like to have been there. I don't think I want any part of that. But anyway, that's okay. Yeah, look, you don't need to dream about earthly royalty. You are royalty. You are royalty. You belong to Christ. You're a royal Priesthood, you have direct access to God. You're a holy nation. You're a set-apart people. What else can he say to commend you? We are God's special possession. Wow. That make you, how does that make you feel? You are God's special possession. Um, he, he treasures you. Don't think he doesn't know who you are. These words just remind us he knows who we are. You know, maybe you're going through a tough time and you may have thought, has God forgotten me? Does he not remember where I am? Does he not know what I'm going through? He does. You're a special possession to him. He's not forgotten. So that we may praise him and and look what he's done. Look at what he's done. Once we were not a people. We were nobody. But now we're the people of God. We were without mercy once upon a time, but now we're recipients of God's mercy. Utterly amazing. That's This second chapter is one of the greatest chapters in all the Bible. And... Verse 4 and 5, I don't know, how do you leave out any verses? But I still think verse 4 and 5 are wow verses. Verse 9 and 10 are wow verses. You can put your own wow wherever you want to in your your Bible, but these are wow verses for me. Okay, let's let's do this. Um, 
let's continue to talk about how to live in a pagan world. Let's talk about how to live in a pagan world. Where, where are we on the outline? Uh, we're at verse 11, chapter 2, verses 11 through 25. So here's, here's what Peter is going to talk about. He's been talking about distinctives that mark us as Christians. Here's the way we ought to look. Here's the way we ought to live. Now he's going to talk about how to live in a pagan world. First century, 21st century. How to live in a pagan world. That's verses 11 through 25. So um, I think what I'd like to do is, because we're out of time, I want to read... Instead of reading all that whole section, I want to read verse 11 and 12, and probably about as far as we can get. So look at verse 11. Dear friends, I like that. Peter calling me his friend. How about that? Yeah, I know the recipients of this epistle, but they, a lot of them had never met him, but he calls them dear friends. Dear friends, I urge you, I urge you as foreigners and exiles to abstain from sinful desires which wage war against your soul. Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. Let's stop there. Here's what I see in that first part of verse 11. We aren't home yet. He calls us foreigners and exiles. If I'm a foreigner and I'm an exile, that means home's somewhere else. It sure is. It surely is. We're not home yet. We're heading that way. And for some, it may be soon. For others, for the rest, for everybody, it won't be all that long. We're not home yet. He just reminds us. We're not home yet. You're a foreigner. You're an exile. And so basically, verses 11 and 12, he's just saying, keep that in mind and live right. Do the right thing. Live right. The Holy Spirit speaks to you. Remember the previous verses that tell how we should live, what should mark us as Christians. And he's just saying in verse 11 and 12, live right, do the right thing. Remember, you're not home yet. So until you get there, Live right. Do what you know you're to do. The Scripture tells you the Holy Spirit speaks to your heart. Do the right thing. And God will bless and honor that. And it's part of our witness uh, before we sign off. Remember, it's part of our witness. Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day He visits us. The day they stand before God and see you accepted by Him. You know, there is coming a day when every knee shall bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Every knee, every tongue. But for some, it will be too late. They'll be standing before God and they'll fall down and they'll declare Jesus is Lord. But as far as salvation is concerned, too late. But they're still going to acknowledge Him as Lord. Those of us who've done that already in this life, we'll be doing that face-to-face with him. It'll be amazing. Well, we'll pick up there next time. Just remember, you got two weeks to be sure you do the right thing, okay? Be sure you do the right thing between now and two weeks from today. And we'll pick up right there uh, next time.
Father, thank you for your precious word. Thank you for the reminder that we're your children. We're a royal priesthood. We're part of your family. You love us. You care for us. You remember where we are. You know our name. You know everything we're going through. And in the toughest, toughest of times, you're with us. And so I pray, Father, that we'll realize we're not home yet. And until we get there, we want to honor you by the way we live. Help us to do that. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. See you next time.